and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Hope you guys are doing well. Another crazy week in town, in society. Uh, the rain won't stop. There's a lot going on, people. I hope you guys are hanging in there. I'm currently on day three of a juice cleanse that I got talked into by somebody, and um, I'm a little cranky. Hopefully that doesn't come across in the podcasting and I questioning my life decisions uh, as we speak. But I'm here recording this uh, intro podcast for what's another fun edition of the Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, here's what we've got on tap today. I spoke with uh, Chris Burke. He is our Detroit Lions insider for The Athletic. He's also like me, an NFL draft uh, guy. So we talked about this upcoming game on Sunday, what's going on with both of these teams. Matthew Stafford's future, is he somebody that Washington might be able to consider in free agency this summer? And also we got into the NFL draft. It's conceivable both of these teams have quarterback needs this offseason. So we discussed this group, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and kind of where we think uh, you know, where these teams could could go in that direction. Um, also, uh, part two of my conversation with Michael Lee, my NBA uh, pal, now writes for the Washington Post. In th- this edition, we get into the Washington Wizards. What is going on with them? Obviously, the NBA draft is up next week. And I will say that in, a, in an upcoming podcast, I talked at length with Fred Katz, our Wizards insider. He and I will, will went at length about the draft and some other offseason stuff that will be coming up here on the Standard Room Only podcast. To make sure you don't miss that or any of the other podcasts coming up, you can subscribe to iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting. If you're an iTunes person, uh, eventually I will stop re- making this uh, request slash reminder, but would definitely appreciate any ratings or reviews left there. Uh, that seems to help people find the podcast and definitely uh, look, helps my ego as well. Not going to lie. I could use, I could use a bump every once in a while, <laughs> but wait, love, sit, state, state your opinion. Honestly, don't, I don't need Brown nosing, but if you like it, I definitely appreciate the thoughts for sure. Um, in addition, just as a quick note, I, I, I mentioned the other day that a- after the, the, the giants loss that I had written something up on the athletic and I said, you know what? You, you don't have to go read this one. Wasn't that exciting? You, you know what happened. Uh, you don't need to go right, read that one. But I do have two stories up on The Athletic right now that I would appreciate you checking out. One is a, a Washington football team notebook. Covers topics including what's the next step for Antonio Gibson? What's holding him back from getting more playing time? Where Bryce Love's uh, next role might come now that he's returning to practice? What's the future for Thomas Davis? Is it possible we're looking at his run ending here? Uh, soon in Washington and and a few other things as well. You can check that up on, on the Athletic. Um, by the way, I should should mention you can always hit me up at on Twitter at Ben Standing. If you want my only Washington football team feed, it is at Break Burgundy. Uh, I, I it's mostly just me retweeting myself, but I, I I'm in there a bit. But it also takes out all the other silliness that that I that has on my regular feed. Um, anyway, and as I said, I had a second article up this week, which one I enjoyed writing. It was kind of a fun one. It was about what's it like for Ron Rivera and the players dealing with the new interaction of, of Zoom press conferences, news conferences, um, where that's the only interaction we have with these with these folks um, and have for months now. We, we can go out to practices on days that it's not raining when they rain when it rains like it did Wednesday and now today, Thursday. Uh, the team goes indoors. We're not allowed to go inside because of COVID uh, protocols, and uh, and anyway, so so that's it. So uh, 
today we'll get Ron Rivera and some other folks on Zoom, and literally that's the only interaction we'll have today, tomorrow, and potentially for the end of time, depending on how things are going out there in the world with the pandemic. But look, everybody's doing Zoom in some form, right? Everybody in their offices with family and friends, and you know it's helpful. It's also you know personally I'm over it. I, I it's uh, from a work perspective. It's difficult. It, again, this is uh, it's difficult relative to my job. I'm not saying it's difficult to challenges people are truly having out in the world, but Zoom is a challenge. It's something that we were as reporters and media talk about all the time. Um, you know, how do we get more interesting stories when we're all having to use the same quotes, having to ask questions you'd prefer not asking in front of other reporters, so on and so on. But that's from. But and then of course there's the fun stuff. What's Ron Rivera? What was that expression Ron Rivera just gave? Did you see what that player was wearing? Who's the random guy popping up in the Zoom call? Why does this background have like a football play drawn on it? Did you know the the, the, the muted mics, the the, the, the unmuted mics? Uh, I've I've been a victim of that myself. All that kind of stuff. And uh, I was curious what what is going on on the other end. What is happening when Ron Rivera sits down? It has to be, you know, he said he talks to us five times a week. The game day Zoom is different than the post game Zooms. I'm sorry, it's different than the, than the post-practice Zooms, um, which are, well, I guess Monday is not really post-practice, but Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we get Ron Rivera um, talking along with, you know, other, uh, the, the, the two coordinators, the quarterback, uh, a, an assistant coach, then there's a secondary, second room where you have random players just kind of mill in to, to talk to us. And so I wanted to get a sense for what was going on. And like I said, it was a playful story. And, you know, one quote that was funny, uh, Jimmy Moreland, you know, he, he gave some thoughts about whether he thought the zoom was uh, easier or harder than, than dealing with face than dealing with the standard locker room interviews. But one thing he, he said was uh, that he was often amused by quote, a lot of the reporters and how they'd be looking on the zooms. Um, Jimmy, you're not, you're not wrong there. I'm often amused by how we're all looking on the zooms my, myself. Um, in any event, it was a fun story. I hope everybody can check it out on The Athletic. That was like sort of the top half of the story. What really got some attention, though, was what was said in the bottom half of the story, specifically Ron Rivera's comments about the Zoom process. Now, he'd already stated sort of in the top of the article that he, he's not really a fan of it. And it, you know, he understands, of course, why we're doing this, but he's not a fan of it because he wants to he wants to be able to see who he's talking to. Now, technically with Zoom, you can, but, you know, I think we've all, you know, the Zoom can kind of go, um, uh, you know, it's, you know, it can be a little wonky at times. And also, you know, he's, this isn't a normal conversation. He's under pressure, right? He's, everything he says is going to be commented and, and viewed by people over on video or based on what we write about him. So he's got to think about it. And he's not definitively in that moment only looking to see what's going on um, on the Zoom or who's talking to him. And, you know, when it's face-to-face, it is a little, it's just more of a natural um, conversation. So he's not a fan from that perspective. And I think on some level, based on what, what what we'll talk about here for the rest of it, I would just say we only view him in the context of he is the coach of a football team. He is also, of course, a human being dealing with the pandemic. That's on top of everything else this man has had to deal with this year, including he just, you know, finished you know, a, a round of, of, of treatment for cancer on top of everything he's going on with being the one voice on the football team and having to handle so much uh, for the last several months. So, you know, 
it's it's it, it, look he gets graded on his role as the Washington football team coach and that is how we all view him and I that's going to have that that's how we'll, how we will going forward I just think at some level with these comments just consider the person he is a people person he likes talking to people like a politician almost being on the stump he wants to get his message out and talk to everybody and I'll get into that in more in a in a second but Here's the quote. There, there was there were several interesting quotes, but here's the one I think that got people's attention. Um, this is you know sort of me talking. This is we were discussing just sort of the idea of you know not being able to be together. And he mentions here uh, Sean DeBarbery, who's the head of the uh, Washington Football Team's PR on, on the football side. Here's Ron Rivera quote. I told Sean this the other day. I missed this opportunity. Here he's just talking about the opportunity to talk. He, Ron and I were talking over the phone, but he's just talking about the opportunity to just talk with reporters directly. Um, quote, I'll tell you, some of you guys are fascinating. There's a group of you guys that I think have the right attitude towards what we're trying to do here. There's a couple of you that don't and think it's a joke. And honestly, it really pisses me off. But there's a group of you guys that get it. And needless to say, the there's a couple of you that don't think it's a joke and it really pisses me off. That is what, what that is what people notice. So what does he mean by what does he mean by this? Now, let, let me not pretend that, you know, Ron Rivera gave me explicit details to what he was saying. OK, but, you know, I was part of the conversation. So I have some insight from that and also have some thoughts based on having been around this team and, and this coach now for for a bit. So I think first off, understand this when he gets to that point, when he's saying, a couple of you don't think it's a joke, and honestly, it pisses me off. He's no longer, in my opinion, talking solely about the Zoom themselves. I can tell you that based on being in those calls, everybody is professional. Uh, there's, I don't, I honestly cannot think. I mean, maybe there was one or two uh, weird moments, and I'm not talking about a technical glitch or something funny. But everybody is pretty respectful. Everybody is, you know, there's no temper tantrums. Everybody asks reasonable questions. You know, some sometimes we all have moments where we can't we can't spit out a, we can't spit a sentence out or maybe phrase something awkwardly. And look, there are times when you have to ask a tough question, especially you know when, when in the height of the Dwayne Haskins benching, there, there were questions there. And and you know throughout uh, you know throughout various instances, you know including uh, when Ron Rivera was the main point the the main person to to talk to with regards to the uh, reports of sexual harassment out out at the facility uh, prior to his arrival. Um, but he was the one we had to talk to about that. Some of these are tough questions. And, you know, depending on how they're asked, could be viewed as a, as a certain way. I just think that um, – I, I would just say that it, I don't think he's solely talking about Zooms. I think he's talking about more. And and the truth is, Ron Rivera pays attention to everything. Uh, how do I know this? Well, this isn't a, a a a big deal, but like during the conversation, as we were concluding, and I was saying, "Hey, I appreciate your time. Thanks for thanks and all that." He said, "Wouldn't this have made for a great uh, conversation on your Ben Standig podcast?" Now, first of all, Ron, it's the Standing Room Only podcast. Come on. Now, secondly, how does he even know? Now, he technically follows me on Twitter, so he could have seen it, but you know, come on, he, he gets briefed all the time by his by by his PR group. Uh, and, and, you know, it's conceivable somebody made mention of that. He, I, I recently interviewed team president Jason Wright and, and head of media Julie Donaldson. It's possible they said something to him. Even if all that happened, how does this guy who has this important job dealing with a lot of stuff, how does he even remember at that moment in time to bring it up in conversation? Because I think this is kind of who Ron Rivera is as a person. He wants to connect with people. He remembered, in his head, he remembered this and was 
sharp enough to bring it up at this moment in, in time. Now, of course, it would have been greater if he had said this in the beginning of the conversation, and then maybe I could have pressed for that interview to be on this podcast. But in any event, my, my, my point is he is aware, and I don't think the, that awareness limits himself to Zoom. I just think that in the when the conversation was about Zoom, he just took everything else that was happening and threw it out there. Now, some people took that 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 comment from Rivera as him being overly sensitive to media criticism. Certainly possible. I don't personally think that's exactly what it is. I mean, again, I'm not saying that he and I are besties and that he doesn't. I'm, I'm, I partly sit here like everybody else. Trust me, everybody on the beat is wondering who he's, what's going on. What, what does he mean by his comments? And I'm, I am too to some degree. But and, and I have been critical. I, I've written the, the mixed messages stories. I've, I've, I've written some, some quest, you know, questions about what, what's going on. Um, with his choices and if he's paying attention on Twitter, I certainly have been done that there as well. So I don't think it's a criticism thing, but if you listen to people, you know, he, it was discussed on talk radio the last couple of days, people have their thoughts there and trust me, you know, the, the zoom rooms are a combination of uh, the, the writers, the, the reporters, uh, TV anchors, TV producers, radio folks. There, there's some camera people there. There's a, there's a mixture of, of, uh, of, of people, and I'm sure everybody on some level is wondering to themselves what is going on here, but I don't think it's a criticism. I don't think it's him being overly sensitive to media criticism. I think on some level, this is about a coach collectively who is trying to get his message out there, and when he sees what he believes is probably misinterpretation of that message, or people who um, or, or, you know, messages, reports, whatever it may be that are saying things that are opposed, that are diametrically opposed to kind of the, the point he's trying to make. And, you know, keep said, some people don't take it seriously. I, I don't quite, I, I don't want to sort of speculate on what he means by that. But I think this is a guy who, as a person, his way of connecting with people is like essentially like a politician and pressing the flesh. And he's not able to do that. And I think that frustrates him when these messages um, get get out there. Part of what he said in this conversation was, you know, uh, you know, to, to go back here to, to his quote, he says, um, there's a group of you guys that I think have the right attitude towards what we're trying to do here. That reminded me of a quote that he gave me before start a training camp in an article up on The Athletic. And let me just read this here. It was a lengthy article. We were touching base on, you know, a lot of the different topics going into the season. And this was also right at the height of the sexual harassment reports coming out of The Washington Post. And I you know, brought some of this up to, to, to him. And here's what he said in, in part of a response, a lengthy response, so you can go read the full article. But here's part of it. Quote, so to me, to have these things go on, that's okay. All right, that's fine. But we're going to get past that. Okay, we're going to get past that. And Ben, it's guys like you and other local reporters, in parentheses, that could help us. Write all the bad articles now, get all the past out of the way. But as we start going forward, write about where we are and where we are going. Help push us forward. That's my message I'm trying to tell everybody. I get it. There are some things that were totally effed up, okay? But let's stop telling everybody that everything's effed up and start saying to everybody, hey, look what we're trying to do. Look how they're trying to fix it, end quote. And I think the the message here I would note is when he says that, that reporters that could help us get past this point in time and 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 put the you know send the gospel out there of what we're trying to do. Now first of all that's not really our job, right? Our I mean for some reporters it may be, but it's not for most of us 
uh, it's not really our job to sort of send that message. Now, sometimes you write an article, hey, I asked a question and here's what the person said. If that counts as spreading the message, okay, well, then I guess, you know, guilty as charged. And look, you're not supposed to, uh, if you're a columnist, you have an opinion and you can write some things, but you know, if, and you are at times interpreting what this, what these messages are, but often the job is just simply you talk to a subject and you tell you you, you tell the your, your readers what the subject is saying. So in that sense, if that's what he means by that, so be it. But Ron Rivera clearly views this relationship as, in some way, the media helping him and thus this team put out a message to 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 the world. Hey, things are being done differently here in Washington. This is how we're doing things now going forward. This is how I made this decision. This is why we're doing X, Y, or Z. And clearly, based on that com- that comment he said to me, I mean, the Zoom article, he doesn't think that everybody gets that. I think, by and large, um, it, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic, and it's one that, I, trust me, everybody on the beat is going to be thinking about for, for a while now. What does he mean by that? What does this mean with my own behavior? What does this mean for other people's behavior? What is, what is Ron Rivera saying when he says, uh, oh, there's, there's a group of you that get it. What, what does get it mean? You know what? Ultimately on some, on some level, sometimes people just put words in a sentence, just you know, put words together to form a sentence. And I'm not saying that's completely what it is. I think Ron gets his messages, gets his messages out there. And I think he knows exactly what he's saying. And I just think in this case, he's saying, it's almost like he's basically saying, "I want to get, I'm, I, I, I miss this opportunity to talk to people directly, to be candid, face to face, where there's less room for interpretation. You know exactly where I'm coming from and what I mean, and it's, I think it's just a lot harder for him to do that when you're only stuck doing Zoom interviews face to face. By the way, like one of the biggest things that all of us as reporters miss about the locker room scenario." It's not that you can go and it's not simply having the chance to go talk to whoever it is, Terry McLaurin, Jonathan Allen, Alex. Well, not Alex Smith. We don't, we don't talk to the quarterbacks in the locker room, really. But, you know, McLaurin, Jonathan Allen, uh, you know, Ryan Kerrigan, whomever it is. It's not the the idea of necessarily putting the mic in their face and saying, hey, what do you think about X, Y or Z? It's the other part, which is, hey, how's how's life going? I, I, I used to talk to Josh Norman. I wrote a story about Josh Norman. Um uh, one of the topics was Batman because he had a Batman, I don't want to say doll, action figure in his locker. And we talked about Batman movies. And then, you know, Chris Thompson would always talk about, um, you know, his family. And, and uh, you know, depending on who the player is, it's just, you know, what, you know, you're standing there, you hear, you, you get a better sense of the person and hopefully them, you. And we're all missing that, trust me. And, and that also comes with, from that, you can learn some information and helps build some trust. And you learn, who the person is and, and you know, it, it can help you down the line with some other stories for sure. And I think it goes the other way as well. Ron Rivera no longer has the ability to have these side conversations. Sure. Even he, even though we just had one over the phone, it's the phone. It's not face to face. It's not the same thing. And uh, I suspect on some level as a human being, he misses that. And simultaneously he's got a job to do as this head, as the head football coach of the Washington football team. And when he sees things that he doesn't love, and on top of the fact that he can't uh, press the flesh, as it were, the way he would want, you get an answer like he got. So there you go. Don't really know what I just said, but that was my basic interpretation of, of some of that article. But I, enjoy, I enjoyed the article. It was fun. Check it out on The Athletic. And now let's get to the rest of this podcast here on the Standard Room Only podcast, starting off with uh, Chris Burke, our Detroit Lions insider. And then we'll get to Michael Lee, uh, 
NBA thinker for the Washington Post here on the Standard Room Only podcast. So it's week 10. On the one hand, Chris, it's hard to believe that we're here in week 10. On the other hand, uh, it's like, I, I, I guess I'm not sure what, what I'm more surprised at, like that, that we've made it this far or that how did we already get here? Because it feels like it's been, I mean, it's gone both fast and incredibly slow, depending on how you look at it with all the, with everything that's going on, both of the, the, the teams that we cover, the country, the coronavirus is a constant topic. Have you, I've lost track. Have you guys had anybody uh, on the list yet? Uh, Stafford. Oh, last you week. know what? Ne- scratch uh, that. I may have to edit myself out of that one because I tweeted about that 15 times. So anyway, yeah, Stafford. Yeah, that's kind of a big uh, one. <laughs> yeah, um, that was the first one since training camp. Um, so yeah, the, the, you know, that was the first time that anyone was close to missing a game. And they've, uh, still got um, – they just brought Jared Davis back off it. He was on it for a little bit. There's a staffer that tested positive last week. I'm not sure. We're, we're not entirely sure at this point who it is. It doesn't. I don't think it's any of the coaches or assistant coaches. They all seem like they're out there. But, yeah, we've had uh, a couple. It seems like it's kind of circling at the moment. So, hopefully they can, they can fend it off and get through the rest of these games. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, knock on wood, we've had really nothing either since training camp. Uh, had a player that I think it was Logan, it was Logan Thomas, I think, actually. Um, but, um, guy, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, on top of like everything else that's going on with, you know, this team and just dealing with this season and in our own lives, I'm like, I'm like oh man, the, you know, beyond the fact that obviously we don't want anybody to get sick and all that, like, I, I don't, I don't need to deal with an outbreak the way I've seen, we've seen with some of these other teams. I, I'm not even like up to date. Like we have an internal Slack thread um, at the Athletic for the NFL, and every other day somebody's asking hysterically, "What's our? What, do we have? A, do we have an update on the COVID <laughs> protocols? Do we have an article about this? Right. We have a list." And I'm sure I will be that person because um, I'm trying to go head and bury head in the sand on some level with some of these uh, with, with some of these things. Yeah, I was one of the people asking last week if we had an article that I could like point to because everyone kept asking <laughs> right. me about this because Stafford had he wasn't a positive test, but he's had a false positive before. Then this time he was a you know quote unquote high risk close contact on Monday, so there's a five day window. Then he's got a test. He had to fly private plane to Minnesota. Uh, had to wake up like at five in the morning Sunday and test. So it's like it's a huge process that only. The timing of it to play the same week that you get flagged only works if the you know contact with someone who is positive or suspected to be positive is m- like the Monday before a Sunday game or the Tuesday before a a Monday game. Um, so you like have to have this exact window or else you're missing missing time. So it, yeah, it's I don't know. I, I'm certainly in the same boat. Just kind of crossing my fingers for a lot of reasons, but you know selfishly covering it um just crossing my fingers that there's not a huge outbreak like you said yeah yeah for for, for sure so uh we're, we're chris and i are going to ask each other questions similar to the format i did a couple weeks ago with uh our cowboys uh reporter john machota we're also going to talk a little nfl draft because uh chris and i have that in common where we both like uh, doing mock drafts even if the world doesn't always like us doing them i'm just kidding um <laughs> but uh but but we'll, we'll get into some of that because i think both of these teams may be con- contemplating quarterback um, th- this off season, so we'll, we'll get into that. But I wanted to start, Chris, with this. Uh, Adrian Peterson still gets talked a lot in, in these about in these parts, and he's now in your neck of the woods uh, with the Lions. And um, he gets talked about here. I honestly would say by 
sorry people if this offends by largely ignorant people who don't quite understand what's going on here in Washington they you know he was he wasn't really a good fit for this Scott Turner offense which is involves a lot of a lot of motion with the running backs you know having them as dual threat players he's obviously m- much more of a classic you know uh, running back he's not not a great pass catcher in the sense of they just it's not his been his strength historically and they wanted to give Antonio Gibson sort of a clearer path to to get work uh, you know he, he's been he's been impressive same thing with JD McKissick another guy that you know but nonetheless you still have people questioning why Washington got rid of him and to bolster their cause they're they're averaging 3.9 yards a carry 26 in the league they still sort of like on obvious rundowns I don't think they have a, a guy who you can just give the ball to because Gibson is still kind of learning the position having played a lot of receiver in college so the question on some level maybe we can help put put, put some of these fans their mind finally at ease or maybe give them more ammunition how's Adrian Peterson actually been looking because based on some of the numbers I see it doesn't look very impressive but I I also know, you know, he's playing for Detroit and there may be something just with what they've got going on. So what what have you seen from uh, Adrian Peterson so far? Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned the 3.9 yards per, yards per carry. He's at 3.8. So <laughs> I don't know that there's much relief there. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny to hear you talk about him, you know, to talk about Washington fans maybe being upset that they let him go. Detroit fans don't want him to be on the field at all because, uh, as you mentioned, he is kind of uh, – you kind of almost – um, tip your hand a little bit when he's on the field. You know, it's it's either most of the time when he's been out there, it's either been a run, like an obvious rundown for them, or play action and a short pass. They haven't really opened up the offense, and then they bring in, you know, DeAndre Swift and to a lesser extent, Carry on Johnson. And when those guys are on the field, you kind of see him spread things sideline to sideline, and they're a little more, uh, they're a lot more dynamic at times, and. Peterson's just that guy who, you know, they want to grind out yards with. They want to control the clock. I certainly understand why the Lions coaching staff wants him here based on the type of team that they want to be. But, you know, he's been he's been fine. I mean, <laughs> he's been what the coaches want him to be and, and probably nothing more. I think he's helped. I'm sure he's helped in the locker room uh, having young running backs. But, yeah, I mean, the more carries he gets, the fewer carries there are for Swift, who they spent a second-round pick on this year, and for on Johnson, who they – took pretty early a couple years ago so it's a weird dynamic happening here too yeah it's interesting yeah I mean I've seen Swift just on some of the highlights I mean he's looked you know pretty good from from the from the well again from the highlights I don't know about play to play but you're right I mean that seems like the guy you know it, it just seems like a modern he, he's more of a modern fit P- Peterson always reminds me of you know an NBA center it's not that he still couldn't play it's just in the game in the era that we're in he just doesn't make for a good fit and so it's hard to justify. Washington needed him the last two years when they had, you know, not much going on uh, at the quarterback spot, especially once Alex Smith got hurt in 2018. And then last year, bouncing between th- uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, they they needed something. And Peterson gave them that. He was a reliable guy you could you could go to, but it just didn't make a lot of sense for the new regime. They moved on. But yeah, it's interesting that, that he's at this part of his career. The, the one thing I do wonder is, could we? Could there be? I, I won't say a revenge game, as if Peterson was pissed off at them. But at the same time, the, last week the Giants went for 166 yards against Washington on the ground with nobody, nobody of note in the backfield. I mean, Alfred Morris came back to to, to get 68 yards, I think, against his old team. Wayne Gallman was the other. A primary running back not exciting guys and yet Washington gave up a, a season worst 166 yards and in fact 
in all their games this year, except for two where they played against a team that had an incredibly beat-up offensive line, they've allowed at least 123 on the ground. So I'm wondering, do you think there's a chance that Detroit can actually take advantage of it, whether that's Peterson or, or with Swift? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a possibility that sort of their best games in offense have been when they've been able to get that balance going, and it hasn't always been Peterson back there. I mean, Swift's had a couple good games. Carrion Johnson had one. Um, you know, Peterson, I, I mentioned the yards per carry. I don't think he's been above above like 3.6 for a game since week two. So he kind of started off hot. He had a really good week one against the Bears, and then uh, it's kind of tailed off. And some of that's the play calling. Some of it's the offensive line's been really unsettled, and it's it's been pretty hit or miss, um, both as in pass protection and, and run blocking. It kind of goes in waves on each side. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance, and mainly because the Lions are going to try to establish the run game. They always do, um, you know, sort of to their own detriment. That's probably the biggest complaint about the play calling is that they're just so adamant about, you know, establishing their balance – whether or not it comes to fruition or not. But uh, he'll get opportunities, and DeAndre Swift will get opportunities. I mean, I think Swift's the guy you more worry about as a defense. Peterson, you know, if he gets six or seven or eight yards on a carry, you don't – whatever, you live with it because, you know, the next two he's probably going to get a yard or two combined. But Swift's the guy that's more of a game-breaker. So I think, you know, week to week he's the one that should have more of a shot to kind of blow up and have a, you know, 100, 150-yard game. Gotcha. All right. Well, look, I mean, like I said, I mean, Washington should be stout against the run in theory. Their defensive line is clearly the strength of the team. Uh, Ron Rivera uh, today, uh, we just spoke to him a couple hours ago. We're talking uh, here on a a Wednesday uh, late afternoon. He uh, went off a bit on the linebackers when when asked kind of what he needs to see out of them. He basically just said flat out they need to play better. Uh, he's not he's not a huge fan and understandable so I think that's got to be part of the fact with the run game they also didn't have Landon Collins last week for the first time after his season ending Achilles injury so interesting to see how Washington can bounce back again you know it doesn't it seems like a game they should be okay in but again Wayne Gallman Alfred Morris (laughs) had their way had their way (laughs) with them last week so so we'll see um all right so we're here we're talking with uh uh, the Athletics, uh, Chris Burke, uh, our Detroit Lions uh, guru. Uh, we, we, we're going to ask each other a couple of questions. Uh, I have no idea what Chris is going to ask me, and vice versa. Uh, you are the, since you're, uh, the, you know, you're you're on the road here. You get to go first. What what you can ask whatever you want about the Washington football team, or honestly, whatever you want to ask me to have for dinner, whatever you, whatever you got. <laughs> uh, I I mean I think this one counts. It's not. I don't know how X's and O's it is, but. Uh, it was just something I was thinking about as I kind of you know look ahead to Sunday. Um, do you get nervous at all watching Alex Smith play right now? It's funny. We're ve- like I feel like it's going to be a weird. Like I just feel like I'm going to be nervous in the stadium watching him get hit in the pocket on Sunday, just from like a human perspective. And I'm kind of wondering if that's. If other people are watching him and feeling jittery when he's back there throwing passes, or if everyone's just sort of accepted that he's back and healthy enough to be playing now, yeah, no, good, great question. So Ron Rivera was asked about that kind of today. Like, do you still notice? Like, do you, do you catch yourself kind of you know bracing whenever he's getting hit, or if you move past it? And he's like, yeah, I, I, I don't think about it anymore. And Alex Smith today said. When, you know, he said that, you know, last when he came in off the bench for the second time this season, only the second time he's played since the infamous leg injury, he said that, yeah, he really didn't think about the leg, that it was just about the playing of the football. 
they may be two of the only people who who I think view it in those terms. I, I mean, I I wouldn't say that I was like as anxious as I was the first time, but you know, when he takes a hit or when you feel the defender coming, it's it is a very different feeling versus when you see uh, a, a pass rusher coming at. Kyle Allen or Dwayne Haskins because you know you're not viewing it in those terms. So yes, I think I, I, this will be your first time going through it. So yes, I'm I'm quite sure you'll be like, oh my god. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you saw the highlights but when he came in in Week Five against the Rams. For I think it was the first sack. It's not that Aaron Donald sacked him. Aaron Donald literally jumped on his back, like full body on his back to take him down. And we're like, you got to be kidding me. This guy's had 17 surgeries on this right leg. None of us can believe he's back. And Aaron freaking Donald is jumping on his back. But he made it through. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're all holding our breath. I'll tell you who's also, I think, holding his breath is Ron Rivera. Because I don't think Ron yeah. Rivera wants to go back to Dwayne Haskins. And I think was, and, and, and he's going to have to, obviously. Well, he doesn't have to do anything, I guess. But he'll have to if Alex Smith goes down. So, um, you know, I, I think Rivera seems, Rivera's basic line is the doctor said he could play. That's good enough for me. Um, but beyond that, uh, yeah, I, I suspect you'll feel a little something, something uh, watching him uh, <laughs> while watching somebody take him down. Um, all right. My turn. Uh, this is not a football question. This is an ownership question. Wait, you there? Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. I lost it. I thought I lost you there. Um, yep. So here we get a lot of talk about the ownership in the sense that Dan Snyder is not the most popular guy in town. And one thing I noticed last year was it's not, they've been bad for a bit, but last year it was really the first time where I really felt the apathy really creep in. I noticed that just with the conversation around the league. And to be honest, I even noticed that with say page views on the, on the website. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but, and I sort of get it at some point. It's not, again, even if you just keep losing, it's just like, Oh, come on, give me a break. But the, at least Washington's fans, the older ones, you know, did get to experience a lot of highs. You know, it's been a, it's been a long minute, but they did experience some highs. I, what, 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 what is it? What is the? What is the? I don't know. The, what's the deal there with the Detroit fans? Because literally in my lifetime, they've essentially never been good. Ha, ha, and it's the same ownership, and I don't get the sense from afar that the owners are reviled in the same way that Dan Snyder is by the fans. But at the same time. What what's like the general mood? Do people still get excited? Is it is it just apathy all the time, or what? How, what's the mood from the Lions fan when it's just it's just oh it never feels like it's going to happen? Yeah, um, I think I think a there probably is more apathy here than than people who aren't here would notice or care about, frankly. But I, I do think that there are a lot of people who are frustrated just that they you know it's been the same ownership group for multiple decades now and. Uh, they've got one playoff win. They've been bad for a long time. I mean, not even really that competitive of late. And so I think there are people that um, are fed up with ownership. We, you know, get questions every week when we do like Q and A's and things like that. Like, how can we encourage get the Fords to sell the team? And like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I guess you can all stop going to games when we're allowed to go to games again. But um, I think there is some certainly some frustration with the ownership group. Um, and then B, I mean, I think the fan base here is interesting because they sort of go through the life cycle of more successful franchises within like these three and four year spurts of the coaching regimes. So the Patricia hire, everyone's super excited. Uh, you know, they thought he was, they had gone nine and seven the year before hire Patricia. 
I think this is going to be the guy who's going to get you over the top. And then his first game was a Monday nighter against the Jets that they lost by, I think it was 31. I think they lost 48 to 17. And so almost right away, you know, you could feel people kind of easing away. And then, as you know, that season fell apart. Last season fell apart with Stafford hurt. And now they're three and five. And so everyone's back into that spot where they are apathetic and they're, they want everyone out. They want a clean house. A lot of them want Stafford gone and want the rebuild and, um, but then I think as soon as you make that next move, they'll be right back on the bandwagon again and, and kind of convinced that whomever is the next hire at coach and GM, if there is uh, a hire to be made, will be the people to turn it around. So um, sort of this blind faith that some some somewhere in the future uh, they'll get it fixed and, and figure it out and be rewarded for all this uh, – all this – you know, this loyalty they've had over the years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that they're in a very apathetic place right now. It probably feels more like that because it can't be any fans at home games, but it does seem like people have kind of tuned out this regime until, you know, whatever happens at the end of this year. Yeah. I, I you, you mentioned the blind faith thing. I think that's the, you know, it's the, it's the key to being an owner, particularly I think in, in the NFL. And I think this is what Dan Snyder's first ten years were about. Here, he he waved a lot of shiny objects. They went after a lot of like high big name free agents, um, guys who were over the hill: Deion Sanders, Bruce Smith, things like that. They they hired Steve Spurrier. You know that they, they made some splashy moves. I think because every time you, that's why Washington was always winning the offseason, because you can easily forget what happened ten you know a couple months ago if you give them something new. Because ultimately, fans they want to believe, they just do and. You know, it's hard to just say, no, screw my team that I grew up with or, you know, I've rooted for my whole life. And it's just it's hard to do that. And that's why it's, it's fascinating to me that a place like Detroit where they've just been, you know, it's been stuck for so long that, you know, that anybody would still believe in the, in this group. But, yeah, I mean, there is there is that element um, for, for sure. Um, all right. Your turn. What you got? Uh, I was trying to decide which way I wanted to go with this. I guess since I asked you about the offense and the Lions, everyone on the Lions this week has talked about the defensive line in Washington. Uh, I, I guess I'll ask you about that. And obviously, drafting Chase Young helped. Um, so was that the like was that the one piece that they were missing to bring in a guy like Chase Young? Have all these other you know high draft picks sort of developed all at the same time? What's what's turned the corner for that group this year? Well, I think. I don't know if it's the number one thing, but I would I would say that the the coaching change I think helped a lot. I think there were a lot. Of, like, I don't pretend that I'm like some film savant that I'm going to tell you, you know, oh, this defensive coordinator, what a disaster. You know, you have some thoughts watching games, but I, I can't like sit here and tell you that. But that said, it was pretty obvious that they felt they were undermanned. It felt on the defensive coaching staff the last couple of years. Greg Minuski, you know, he he had done some things in the past, but it seemed like it was a struggle. And some of their other coaches had been like out of football at the time that they got rehired to join Washington staff. Um, now, not only is Ron Rivera that side of the ball, but Jack Del Rio is you know has been there, done that kind of guy as well. And um, I think that's helped a lot. Now that said, you got to have talent. They have you know th- their top five defensive linemen are all former first round picks. Um, they had one guy, Matt Ioannidis, who was uh, you know one of their top guys for for getting sacks. He's out for the year uh, with an injury, but even without him, they've been you know really good. But it's it's good, but but sometimes it's not enough. Like I said, they, they, they you know it's not always. I mean, look, Chase Young is is an absolute force. He's getting double, triple teamed. 
in games. He, he's relentless. It's not just that he's got some great athleticism, but he is a relentless pursuer of the ball and of the quarterbacks. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of sacks, but he's getting pressures, and you can already tell how teams are focusing on him that that he's a pre- that he's a a, a, a a menace. On the other side, Montez Sweat, you know, last year came into the league. You know, he slipped in a little bit in the draft, as you as I'm sure remember, because of this enlarged heart situation. He's been great, and he's 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 you know he'll he'll get if not this year or soon he'll get 10, 10 plus sacks in a year. And and Deron Payne, you know, if you tell me he he makes the Pro Bowl this year. I wouldn't be surprised. And then Jonathan Allen's been pretty solid as well. Ryan Kerrigan, his his sack total makes it look like he's playing better than he is. He's nah, he's whatever, but he's he's you know <laughs> he's getting some sacks here and there, but even though he's not even playing a ton. So it's been it's been a it's been a good group. I, I do think they need to get a little more consistent. But again, you know this is where every piece plays together. The linebackers, as I said before, not so hot, and uh, that's a factor. But yeah, I mean Ch- Chase Young. I, I, you know, it's probably overly simplistic, but I've used this a, a bunch of times. Chase Young is just sort of what happened with San Francisco when Bosa showed up last year. You know, they already had a bunch of talented players on the line, but now he was sort of the piece that helped unlock everybody because you can't double team everybody, you know. And uh, so I think he's done that for, for Washington. But, you know, they I won't say it's mostly on paper because it's not. They've been good, but. I think I think maybe some of their defensive numbers are a little over a little inflated based on what we've seen, but the potential gotcha. is is definitely uh, is definitely way up there. Um, all right, so here's a question I really wanted to ask you about: it, Is Kenny Galladay playing this week for my fantasy team? But uh, <laughs> but I'll I'll go down the Stafford route, even though I'm sure you get this one all the time on some level. But you know I, I've been thinking about here. You just mentioned Washington's defense. You know, Washington already has two wins <laughs> and, you know, realistically, they'll probably get a couple more, which means they're already way out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And if they get even a, you know one or two more wins, they could be out of the Justin Fields and the Trey Lance game. And, you know, if they actually, you know, compete for the NFC East, they could be a, a team that gets five or six wins. And now you're, you know, middle of the first round or something or, you know, top outside of the top 10, at least. Which makes the question then, well, how does Washington improve a quarterback? Because I, I think most of us think their 2021 guy isn't here. And I keep thinking if their defense looks good the rest of the year, like actually plays like a top 10 defense, is there some veteran quarterback out there that says, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll cast my lot with this team because that's the other side of the ball's pretty good. They've got Terry McLaurin, you know, yada, yada, yada. But the question is who's going to be available? And I, I don't know how much I, if I'm just thinking too much of this, but I guess I've heard some stuff. But by, I don't mean like I've heard from like sources. I just mean like, you know, reading things that Matthew Stafford could potentially be be available. You're the guy to ask. Is this is this remotely possible, or is this just come on, get out of here? Matthew Stafford's gonna, you know, die playing quarterback for the Detroit Lions. He's he's been there forever. He's not going anywhere. Uh, well, first of all, I would find someone other than Kenny Galladay to play this week. I don't think I'd be surprised if he played. He hasn't practiced in two weeks. He didn't practice today. Um, yeah, I mean. I- my gut tells me that the Lions have at least one more year to kind of figure this out with Stafford, but there's so many variables right now, including the coach and GM, like we talked about. Whenever there's a coach-GM change, quarterback's the first place you look and say, is this the guy you want to be your franchise quarterback moving forward? And uh, a lot of times in those regime changes, it's not. I, the Part of the reason I think he's here next year is I still think even at you know 32, going on 33, and uh, didn't isn't playing great, 
right now was hurt last year. I, I still think he's, if you're trying to bring in a coach, he's maybe the biggest piece you're selling and saying, we've already got our franchise guy. Our offense looks like it's in pretty good shape for the next few years. We've got to figure out the defense. So I still think uh, he's around next year, but it is a little tricky because it's been 12 years now. He's been through, uh, I've kind of lost count, five or six defensive or offensive coordinators. You know, this could be another coaching change, possibly a rebuild. I mean, I think if they go to a full rebuild, if they bring in a new GM and coach and that group says, we need to tear this down and just completely start over, then you start looking. Um, next year is cap numbers, uh, $33 million, which is the other kind of tricky piece of this because I think he is going to need a contract extension one way or the other. Um, you know, as it stands, 2022 is when it gets a little more friendly to get rid of him. You know, if they were to trade him or, uh, I guess release him, I don't think they'd release him, but to trade him would be, you know, they're still taking like a $19 million, $20 million cap hit for next year and dead money. It goes way down 2022. So that's why I say, I think they got at least one more year to kind of figure this out with Stafford, but you know, if they go four and 12 and they clean house, uh, maybe, uh, maybe he's available for the right offer. It's, it's hard to really guess without knowing who's going to be uh, the coach and GM. I, I think if it's Bob Quinn and, and Matt Patricia, then he'll be in Detroit for sure. And if it's not, then you kind of wait and see a little bit. But I still think he's here for at least one more season. Got it. Yeah. Um, what What a weird career Matthew Stafford's had. Every yeah. time I watch him, I always think, boy, this guy, look out. I mean, if he's got the ball, like he, he's got he's got enough – in him, it's not just talent. Like I think five minutes to go, they need a, t- a game, a game tying or winning score. I think he's going to get it done, regardless of what else he's working with. I mean, he has that. I don't think that with a lot of starting quarterbacks. I think that with him, and yet the results are just never there. And I know that's not all on him, but boy, at some point you just have to. <laughs> I'm sure you wonder this all the time, but uh, from the outside, it's just like, wow, what, <laughs> what did we even make of his uh, his time uh, uh, up there? But, um interesting career for 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 sure um but but and so like i said part of why you know you know for us here a lot of the conversation is about the quarterback alex smith is a great story i i just can't look i've been wrong on every step of the alex smith comeback this year every step i still cannot comprehend how he's the starting quarterback next year if that's the plan uh dwayne haskins doesn't feel like that's gonna happen either uh kyle allen interesting but you know he's been um uh, you know, he's hurt now after the year and, you know, it's not like he was like a lock. So, you know, the draft seems like a thing. Um, as I mentioned, you know, you and I are, are, are people that have, you know, have done mock drafts historically and are, and are into it. And I think both right now we're probably behind the curve in terms of keeping up with things because of our, our day jobs. But at the same time, you know, I'm sure we have some sense, you, you know, you, you uh, have you kept your eye on them kind of in general wondering, you know, what to make of this class, whether, whether you think Stafford is going or not, like what, what have you kind of thought of some of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely kept an eye on it because, I mean, I, this is my fourth season covering the Lions for the Athletic, and I think at every draft I've said that they need to dr- take a quarterback somewhere to kind of develop behind uh, Matthew Stafford. And, they've, you know, they Bob Quinn's made late-round picks. He took Jake Rudock one year. He took Brad Kaya one year. So they've um, brought in these guys who are, you know, just – bottom of the roster type guys you're not really expecting them to develop and be your future quarterback but even if Stafford is your guy and you think he's going to be playing and he's going to stay healthy till he's 34 35 36 I mean you're still running out of road here 
to get someone in there that you can develop. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, I've been keeping an eye on it. I, it's sort of the same thing you were talking about. They're already at three and five. They've got, you know, Washington, Carolina, Houston, these next three weeks, they're certainly looking at that as a stretch where they need to pick up really all three, but, you know, hoping to pick up probably at least two. And so now you're at five wins, you get to six wins, you're picking like 15. I don't know what you do at that point. Cause I think we know, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are going to go early. It seems like Zach Wilson from BYU is going to go early. You know, Trey Lance is the other one who's been talked about in the first round. I I, I will honestly say I don't have a read on him at this point. They played one game. Yeah. He was okay in it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of the same discussion I think that Washington might be having. Just if you're going to do this, how do you do it? You're either going to have to trade up or you're going to have to find someone that you know, in round two or later in round one that other people are kind of overlooking a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, p- part of the thing is also like, you know, for, for, for here, Ron Rivera would be going into his second season and he he signed a five-year contract. So year two, he still got a long way to go. But if you draft a rookie quarterback, you know, you are kind of setting the clock over again a little bit. I mean, depending, I mean, look, if you have the Joe Burrow comes in and he's able to, or, or Justin Herbert, and they're able to light it up right off the bat. Well, okay, well, maybe you don't, but you can't always predict how that's going to go. Um, and, you know, even still, you, you're a young quarterback, you know, you, you got to help them out in a lot of ways. Um, if you, you know, for, for, for you guys, if you, like you said, if, if, if there's a new head coach uh, and, and GM, maybe it's, well, the clock is starting over automatically. And maybe that's why at that point going that route makes sense. But that's why I'm like, the further, the higher up Washington gets in the draft, it's just like, well, what is the, I'm not saying don't draft a rookie quarterback. I'm just saying like, what's the point of doing that? You know, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. What's the point of doing that when you've kind of got to get going here, um, you know, at, at some point. So it'll be interesting to see, um, to see how that un, un, unfolds. Is there any, uh, anybody you've kind of like, what, what is your take on, on Trevor Lawrence? Again, I don't think either one of us are going to get him, but like, do you, do you, when you watch him, do you see the guy that's, that can't miss that everybody kind of makes him out to me? Yeah, I mean, I I think we all kind of hesitate to use the can't miss, but certainly there's uh, everything you would want in a quarterback that you're taking number one is pretty evident from the physical traits to the uh, just kind of the way he carries himself. I will say, maybe this is just being in Big Ten country over here, but I don't know that there's a huge drop-off from Trevor Lawrence to Justin Fields. Like It, it doesn't feel to me like there's a clear one and a clear two in Lawrence and Fields. I mean, I think that's probably how they'll get drafted Lawrence first and then Fields but Justin Fields is a really really good quarterback and um, I don't know if what's happened with Dwayne Haskins will scare people off of him at all I I mean it shouldn't but there's always kind of that element of well you're you know you're playing in a QB friendly offense with a team that's way better than everyone it's playing every week and so how do you translate that but I, I mean I think just the way Justin Fields has developed and has played over the last couple years I mean he's He's barely even throwing incompletions, let alone turning the ball over. Just whatever he wants to do uh, in passing game or the run game, he's been able to do. So, I I mean, I think if you're looking to get someone, those either of those guys would be pretty solid starts uh, for a rebuilding project. But, yeah, I mean, it is tough. It's really hard because you almost have to go up and get a guy if you're thinking you need to start over at quarterback, it's really hard to sit back and say, well, we'll just take this is this guy will develop. We can draft this guy in the third and he'll develop into a franchise quarterback. It, it's really hard to just go, you know, fly under the radar and p- 
pluck off a guy and pretend he's going to be, you, you know, your starter for a, a decade. You almost have to go up and trade for someone if you're in that 12, 15, whatever it is range and feel like you're stuck. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree 100%. Um, last question, then I'll let you go. Any position in the draft, any anything, anybody, again, I know you're it was still early in the process, but it's anybody you're intrigued by, not saying they have to be a first-round pick, but just somebody you're like, ooh, I kind of want to watch more about this guy later or I kind of like this guy already? Um, I mean, it is kind of up higher in the draft. I, I do like some of the linebackers in this class, That's uh, and that's, again, that's one I just sort of noted because of where the Lions are at and how bad their linebackers are. I know you were just talking about Washington's linebackers, but um, like Micah Parsons seems like he's going to be a uh, top 10 guy. And Notre, Notre Dame's got a good linebacker who's, you know, just from watching those games every week. Um, it, it's a, it seems like a position that there might be a couple guys that'll go off the board early. Uh, and again, that's just watching from the Lions perspective. Um, you know, that's a position that I think could be interesting because it's, you know, you don't always get the linebackers up into the top 10 conversation, but it seems like we're going to have at least one there in Parsons and maybe maybe one or two more. Got yeah, no, Parsons is somebody I definitely uh, I want to talk I want to look into more for sure because uh, you know, if if Washington state even if they're in the top 5 and don't take a quarterback, I got if hypothetically Haskins, you know, look good or whatever. Um he's a guy that I think would make some sense for them for sure for the, some of the reasons you just said. He's interesting, they need help there. And, uh, you know, you got to get in more impact players in that defense. Could be really, really good if they could figure out the linebacker core. Uh, Chris, man, I definitely appreciate the time. Everybody go follow Chris at Chris Burke uh, NFL on Twitter. He's got a, a, a save by the bell picture in his uh, profile. So that alone is makes him a worthy follow on top of the uh, Detroit Lions and NFL draft. Uh, goodness, he, uh, he, he'll, he'll provide. I appreciate it, man. Uh, I I was about to say good luck this week as if you're playing. I guess good luck this week just in terms of, uh, you know, life in general. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you can say good luck to anyone at this point. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, before we get to my conversation with, with Michael Lee, just a quick reminder, this is the Standard Room Only Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. Stitcher, Spotify, you know, all the all that stuff. If there's still any podcast platforms out there you don't find us that you wish you did, let me know at Ben Standig or you can email me bstandig at theathletic.com and let me know. You can also email me or hit me up. Whatever you want to talk about, talk about this team, the Wizards, uh, life, how, how you're doing with pandemic, thoughts for, for this podcast. I'm open to whatever you got. Fire away. Uh, let's get to this, though. Uh, Michael Lee and I spoke at length the other day, uh, he he helped. Uh, he and I part, partnered with uh, our Knicks writer Mike Vorkanoff when, when Michael was with the Athletic. He just left to go to the Post for an NBA uh, agent survey, which was a lot of fun and and part of. Um, we, we talked about that at length on a previous podcast, but we also, of course, talked about the Wizards as Michael and I often do, and wanted to put that into a separate uh, episode. That's what we're going to get to right now, and again. Fred Katz and I got into some more wizard stuff, specifically with the draft and free agency, and I'll play that later on in the next couple of days. But for right now, here's my conversation with Michael Lee at Mr. Michael Lee on Twitter here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Last thing, we have to get, I know we've talked about the wizards a little bit, but we need to get more focused on the actual wizards, not just Beal and Wall. Um, if somebody said to me- really? uh, There's more to the wizards than Beal and Wall. Well, it's not really, that's the, that's the point. Oh, okay. Uh, 
the the uh, you know somebody said to me, hey, you've done a bunch of podcasts. Like, what podcast would you want me to go listen to? If you only pick one. I would say, well, the go back and listen when when uh, I, I I I took Michael hostage, brought him to my house, and we sat him down for hours to break down the entire Ernie Grunfall era. This was. Um, Ironically, we did it right before they had their best season under Grunfeld, basically. We did it as their best season was unfolding. They were losing at the time. Um, the 2016-17 season, they had had the, what turned out to be, we kind of thought in the moment, a disastrous offseason with Jan Mahimi, Andrew Nicholson, and so on. And my thinking was, you know well, what? It, was. it still was disastrous. Oh, terrible. But my thinking at that time was, I just started the podcast. I'm like, okay, this season's going down the toilet. Uh, no, nobody wants to talk about this team. They just want to fire Grunfeld. So let's just get into this. Let's go through all the stuff because I think you and I were somewhat like-minded about Grunfeld. Like, yeah, it was a lot of bad, but some of the things that were ended up being bad in the moment were considered to be reasonable and you can't always judge a decision by the outcome, even though I understand that doesn't work for people's logic. It's what makes sense. Anyway, my point is that that was fun. We, it was like a three or four part thing. We went through the whole thing and it was great. And I, and I love talking about it because I really wanted to get into all things about the Wizards. And if you said to me right now, hey, I'm willing to do a podcast right now, break down the Wizards, go in full detail, I'd be like, hey, Mike, I've got other things to do with my life. Because <laughs> this is where I'm at with the Wizards right now. I, I We've discussed all the things that are more interesting. What do you do with Beal? Um, you know, Wall to some degree. This is the least interested I've been in this team since Wall came in the league. Um, again, I'm not a fan anymore, haven't been for years, but like this was the team of my youth. I mean, I, I was, I mean, all, all these teams were, but like, you know, the Wizards were a team that I was interested in and, um, you know, the NBA and all that. Boy, I, 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 I just could not care less right now. Uh, look, if Rui Hachimura yeah. has like a Pascal Siakam jump, if this ninth pick turns into be Donovan Mitchell, you know, look, maybe things turn around quickly and, and I'm like, oh, you know what? My bad, whatever. But right now, Oh, and, and part of the issue for me primarily is Wall himself in that it, it with Wall and Beal, you keep Bertans, what, what, are they, what are they, the eighth seed? There's no real upside here. I don't know if they are. I mean, at, at, at best. I mean, there, like, there's no yeah. real upside, there's no upside beyond that. And that's assuming that Wall comes back, plays at a relatively high level. He and Beal are copacetic, all that. If you trade Beal, say, okay, it's not going to work. We'll just get stuff. Wall still has three years left on his contract. You can't tank per se because he's around. And is that the guy you want being the adult in the room with all the kids when he's on playing spades on TV, um, among um, you know among among other things? I, I, and so it's just hard. I, I normally I, I can be an optimist. Well, you know, if they just do this and they just do that, maybe it can work out. I didn't hate Andrew the Andrew Nicholson signing. I'll be honest. Didn't ever like the Mahimi one. Um, you know, but look, this can work out. Um, you know, there was always, you know, Otto Porter as a fan, and I liked the Gord Gortat. There was always stuff. Boy, I, I don't, I can't see any path right now, again, unless it's something that's totally unexpected that happens. And this is why, to me, this is the least interesting they've been in the, since 2010 when Wall showed up, because I just don't even see what the upside is, even if the upside is going down. Uh, you know, to, to, to sort of rebuild. I don't, I, I don't see what the path is. And I'm not even getting into Scott Brooks. I'm frustrated with the owner is the owner, but it just, it is, it is. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here. Yeah. I don't even know how uh, to say it any better, honestly. Cause I mean, remember uh, one of the last stories we were asked to do together was uh, trying to explain what the wizards need to do going forward. And neither one of us could, find the motivation to say anything because we were like 
let's just focus on what they got wrong. Because oh, can we, we we can tell. I mean, I, yeah, we can say this. So David Aldrich says, "Hey, here's the plan. We're gonna have two dueling stories. David and Fred are gonna write a story about like nine. He wanted nine because they had the ninth pick. Yeah, nine reasons why, or nine re nine things they can do to fix things. And they want their story. And then they're gonna run one that you and I write. Uh, uh, and then we're gonna have like <laughs> dueling stories, and fans can vote decide who they like best. And you and I were like messaging each other, like, seriously, man, I got like two. I, I, I can't, nine, I, I don't have it in me. But I was like, wait, but we go the other way because I got 30 on the other side. And you yeah. were like, yeah, yeah, same. So we went back to DA. We're like, hey, we're going to do this. He was like, cool. And uh, we did that. I had much more fun doing that. Not fun crapping on them, just being honest. Like, this is what happened. And we could have gone much yeah. harder, honestly, than I think we, we did. Um, yeah, I, th I think that they're, they're in kind of a, a no man's land position as a franchise because they're completely irrelevant. No one cares about them in D.C. or at the, on a national level. And there's nothing compelling. Like there is no storyline that you want to latch on to. I mean, unless they wind up, like you said, getting a, a really phenomenal player with the ninth pick. Um, there's nothing that's going to draw you in because you feel like you've seen a lot of this before. And, uh, you know, like we know John and Brad are good, but like what's the ceiling for where they can take the team? We've seen how high they can take the team. They're older now, especially John's older now, coming off two years of injury. I mean, that's the thing about John is like he's been out of sight for two years. Like no one has seen him play basketball. for. It'll be two years since he played his last game. Whenever the season comes back, whether it's in December or January or whenever, he would have missed two years of basketball. That's a lot to come back from. And that's a lot of people, things that you just don't, it doesn't register like how good he was because it's been so long since you've seen him on the court. The game has changed in the two years that he's been out, you know, uh, his position has gotten a lot harder. You know, there's a lot, lot faster young guards out there. There's John Moran out there jumping over the gym and running past everybody. There's Darren Fox who's not the fastest guy probably with the ball in his hands in the league. Now he's got to keep up with these guys now. And so, when you think about the Wizards going forward, you're like, what are they supposed to be? I think that when they made the conference semis against the Celtics in 17, which is the high mark of this wall bill era, um, they were a fun team. You know, they had kind of a fun locker room. They had a lot of characters. They had a bunch of guys who you were invested in trying to see develop. Like, will Otto actually make the leap? Will Kelly Oubre be, you know, kind of, a, he's kind of a quirky guy. Like, you know, you, you like this personality. I mean, um, Gortat, he, Gortat, people, a lot of the fans has got on him. Gortat was great. I mean, like, yeah, he, was, so, he was incredibly durable. He understood his role of, of the beat, the, being the pick, you know, setting picks, getting the rebound, doing the dirty work. He he, he made shots, you yeah. know, whatever. He wasn't Shaq. I get it. I, I, like, I, I say this, like, you, you know, you have you have a, the the Washington football team, right, which is the most bland name you could ever have for a franchise. Well, the Wizards are the embodiment of, Washington basketball team like it doesn't even matter what the nickname is they are just a professional basketball team that plays in Washington they're not distinct they're not special they're not something that you really want to invest your interest in because there's no personality on the team there's no personality in the sense that you can't latch on to what what they're doing you know um, like I said John's been out of the mix for so long you can't latch on to him his personality and he's had a lot of off course missteps that make you question, like, do I really want to invest in this guy right now? Um, and then, and Brad is a great player, but he doesn't have the personality that you just want to, that you're, that you're, um, 
he's not magnetic. You know, he doesn't have a magnetic personality. You're not drawn to him in the way, in the way that you would have been, say, when John was at his peak. You know, and, and Brad's a great player, but he just doesn't move the meter that way. That and and so Rui, I mean, okay. And I, I think there was a point last year um, I said to somebody else, like, you know, I'm just not invested in the future of any of these players. Like, if they all turn out to be great, fine. I don't even know if I care. And I say that as somebody who loves basketball, there just isn't enough there that could get me excited about them as a basketball team. And I don't know how that's going to change um, unless they get some fresh, exciting new blood in there to really, um, you know, get things going. Because right now they are, you have Washington football team, you have the Washington basketball team. Like <laughs> there's, if they just went out there and just, you know, all white uniforms with nothing written on it. That's basically what you're getting right now at the Wizards. Like it's just a bland operation. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, the, like I said, you know, look, I, I, I think Tommy Shepard, all things considered, did a reasonable job last year, and not, not saying. Yeah, it was a, it I mean, was they a, put together a, a, a team. Right. <laughs> they, well, didn't, yeah. they didn't embarrass. They didn't embarrass anybody. I mean, they to, to some hard. degree, they. I could argue they overachieved last year. I they mean, totally they, did. Yeah, I mean, they, they were one of those teams you had to you had to show up to play them because they were going to actually show up to play, and that's a testament to both. Um, I think I think players that Tommy acquired, and I would also say people following Brad's lead. Um, uh, I'm going to discount Brooks, but that's me. Um, but I think Brad. I think Brad. I think NBA is. I, I always say in teams, teams take on the personality of the dominant figure in basketball. Tends to be the best player, and say football may be the head coach. Um, yeah. But, uh, but Brad is, you know, he he's, he's going to try hard all, all the time. Um, he is. One, he, he, one didn't, he didn't want he didn't want them to be a, a real as bad as they could have been. The fact that they were invited to the bubble was a shock. Right. Um, and, and one thing I'll say about Wall also is he's in a bit of a danger zone here. You said we haven't seen him in two years, but pre-injury, I mean, my thinking with, for him was if he doesn't consistently get a jump shot. He is in danger of getting where Allen Iverson was at some point, which is you could be a great player. I mean, he's not as good as Iverson, but a great player who's who get, who gets by on his physical athleticism. But once that slips even a little bit, what then? He starts from when he goes from running a four three forty to a four five forty, and you can't get past everybody. Well, then what? What's the secondary move? And once he is not the guy, you can say, well, he's one of our top two or three guys. He's now a little more of a secondary player. I think that's where Iverson kind of slipped out of the league pretty quick because he didn't he didn't seem to have the mentality to be the role guy. And I think that was I fear that for John as well. So it'll be interesting to see what is he actually at um, as a player right now. Let me just say one thing about John and just just sort of in his defense. Iverson was a scorer. And so he needed him to get to the basket and make points for his team. John is a playmaker. Like John has the ability to make his teammates better with his passing. If he's willing to commit to that, if he's willing to just be an assist guy who can do that, he can be that guy. He can be a Jason Kidd type in this, in the second phase of his career where he's just focused on, because once Jason lost his speed, he still found a way to be an effective playmaker. And he wanted to win a championship late in his career with the Mavericks, because you don't lose that ability to make plays and to set guys up. John can do that. John can run an offense. He can run a team. It's just, what is his focus going to be? What is he going to dedicate himself to? Where is he going to put his energy into? 
Is it going to be in a, being a great point guard and a great leader for his franchise? Is it going to be about having a good time when the, when the game's over with? Like, what is, what is he going to place as a priority? What's going to be <clears throat> the thing that he puts at the top of the things that motivate him? Um, I know that he wants to get back and sort of be at that all-NBA, all-star level, and that's a lot to sort of put on yourself. I think if he just sets the standard kind of low and just says, hey, I want to come out there and be one of the league's best assist guys. I just want to let Brad lead us in scoring, average 30, and I just want to feed him and set everybody else up and just give us the type of floor leadership that we need. I think that they could actually have some success and he could sort of get sort of re, you know, um, calibrate his career, kind of get it back in a different direction and kind of moving forward in a positive way. But I think if he comes back and saying, I have to average 20 points and 10, 10 assists because I'm on the same level as Damian Lillard and Kyrie Irving and I'm not that type of score, then I think that's going to be a mess. I think he's going to clash with Brad. They're going to get each other's way and it won't be fun. But I think if he comes back with the mentality of just being the best of what John Wall can be, because I think one of the reasons why he sort of slipped in, in, in was that he felt that he had to score to be to get the attention that he deserved or that he felt he, he, was, he, re he required. Um, but I think that in some ways he lost his way because what makes him special is that he has court vision. He can make some tremendous passes. And sure. if you go back to when he first got into the league um, and he's playing with JaVale McGee and Andre Blash and Nick Young. Do this we guy have was to go back to that? No, I'm saying, but this guy was averaging nine assists a game. Yeah. With not with guys who aren't really great, you know, scores or anything. He was he was out there setting guys up and doing that. I think he can come back and he could be that setup guy and then, you know, fill in whatever gaps that Brad can't fill. But that's the way it's gonna have to be for the Wizards to be successful. And if John doesn't come back with that sort of mentality, it could be a long year and, and there'll be more reasons to turn away. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that's where I, my, my, my pessimism is because I'm not, I'm questioning that's possible. Yeah. Also, you mentioned the Jason Kidd thing. You know, Jason Kidd was a lousy three point shooter for early in his career. By the end of his career, he was a, a reliable shooter. I'm not saying he You're was right. a, a great one, but no, he, he was, was reliable. And he, I mean, didn't he finish his career like making the most threes? Of yeah, he went crazy. Yeah, he wound up, I, I forget where he wound up ranking, but he became a great three point shooter by the end yeah. of his career. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like if Brad's going to have the ball, and he's the one sort of dictating what's going to happen. And then if he can kick it to John and John can be a 35% three-point shooter, All right. a high number, but a solid number, that changes the whole world. But if it's the, if it's, he can't make that shot, or like you said, it's the, it's, he's the one dominating the ball and wanting to, you know, sort of run the show, then I think, yeah, I agree. That's where they're going to have problems. Um, any optimism, we just crapped all over them largely. Any optimism, did, 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 did you like, I mean, did you, was there anything that Rory's game? Did Troy Brown, Thomas Bryant did some good things in the bubble. Um, any a, anything you wanna you wanna go to? He's Michael shaking his head. He he's got nothing for me. Oh, he went on mute here or something. Oh no, no, there was nothing there. There was nothing that excited me about the Wizards. I didn't care about any of the numbers, any of the games that anybody played. It meant nothing to me. It was just sort of just irrelevant just numbers it, it it didn't it didn't excite me and I didn't really care to invest anything into it because I felt that they're a couple years away from being a team that you want to care about and I don't know how what's what's it going to take for people to care about them 
but I know that what they had on their roster right now was not enough. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you. Look, I will just say this at the end of the day, if they, if they, if they play a basketball game, if it's somehow they deem that it is like it's safe to go back in the building and we're all willing to do it. I would be excited to see you at a wizards game, even if it's painful <laughs> to watch the actual game. So I'll root for that, even though, I don't know about that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know when I see any, any of us back in the building for that. I do go to, I sit in the NFL press box. I'm not even sure what to make of that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know what, if I see, uh, if I see going to an NBA game anytime soon, but they're, it sounds like they're going to play, try to play in December, which seems crazy to me, but I, what yeah, do I, I think there are a lot of players and players association is going to push back a bit. I think a lot of guys were anticipating MLK day as being the kickoff. And even if there's a lot of money that, that could be lost at stake, I think the players need to look at the owners in the face and be like, hey, man, we bailed y'all out. You know, we, we obviously we, we took care of ourselves too, but we bailed y'all out by going through doing this bubble and we sacrificed a lot of ourselves mentally and physically. Give us a break. We can't come back and try to play within 10 weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for, for sure. Um, all right, man, uh, we, we, I could talk all day uh, basketball with you, uh, but uh, – it's late and you need to go do stuff. Uh, you, you go, go read Michael at the Washington Post. I don't even, you got anything to plug at this point or are we still trying to figure Not out? Not yet. To... We're just, we're just uh, planting little seeds everywhere. And uh, eventually you'll see my byline and uh, hopefully it'll be some stuff that you enjoy reading. You learn something from it. And, uh, and I'm excited about this because I, I think it's a great opportunity for me to do something different. Awesome. All right. At Mr. Michael Lee on Twitter. You already know that. Uh, sir, always appreciate it. That's it here for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Many thanks to Chris Burke, our athletic insider for the Detroit Lions, and Mr. Michael Lee, NBA guru, now writing for the Washington Post. And of course, most of all, thank you all for listening to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Definitely appreciate all the feedback and support as we've been getting this going. Um, hope you guys are hanging in there. Again, it's a crazy world out there on numerous fronts. Cannot even... Cannot even fathom everything that's happening, but it's it's the world we're living in, and we got to figure out how to get by. Hopefully, the podcast helps even just distract you for a little bit. It does for me, and uh, that's why we'll we'll keep doing more. Next, we, we we've got a we've got a game coming up here. Uh, it's a pivotal one. If the if 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 there's any hope of this NFC East uh, title race panning out, they've got to win games like this in Detroit. And then, uh, of course, the NBA draft is next week. And I said I'm excited to talk about that with Fred Katz uh, on an upcoming podcast and plenty of more to talk about with the Washington football team. But for now, Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. Yeah.